senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and when the hell will they believe you know i've been doing this for 20 years now and they still don't believe that's a shame anyways i'm ron kulik your host well, change the, intro, the unbelievable new england's own van helsink and with me all the way from the land of the bigfoot yeah steve parsons hey and also we have a very special guest tonight we have the founder of Rise Up Paranormal, and and also uh, he'll be up at Spiracus with us doing a presentation on Bigfoot, and he is none other than Ken DaCosta. Ken? Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Good How afternoon. You? We're all good. You, you sound really excited. Did we wake you up? Oh, myself? No, yeah. not at all. Not at all. It's that, it's that level voice. You sound almost British. Hey. Mm. Stop insulting our guests. That's true. <laughs> so anyways. Uh, he's, got a, he's got a way to go yet. Yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> we want to thank you for joining us today. And uh, Rise Up Paranormal, uh, that is your baby. You found it, I believe. And, uh, you know, how did it all start? And, and what, what, you know, what, what, what? 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 Oh, I'm I'm just, just, <laughs> did, just, did you get did you get stuck then? I did. I did. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? 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 <laughs> Are we done? Now, uh, started yeah. from uh, very humble beginnings. I mean, uh, this was just something all of this fascinated me as a kid, and I pursued it. And then, around 18 years old or so, when I was able to go out and talked to some people who had uh, some encounters and some odd experiences. I was able to do that and actually visit some of the locations rather than just read about them in magazines or the occasional show on TV or something like that. So uh, that was pretty exciting. So the years went on and eventually, um, you know, my, my younger son, a little bit older in college, had some friends that were also interested in this type of thing. So 
we kind of had our ad hoc sessions, just kind of sitting around talking about this stuff. So eventually, uh, about 12 years ago, we decided to sort of pool all our resources and um, and get out there and make ourselves available to people. And it's been great. I mean, uh, the uh, group has grown in that uh, in that period of time, and uh, we bring a lot of people in from different different disciplines, the medical profession, defense contractors, engineers, et cetera, and so forth. So um, they give a good objective view to this kind of thing, and that just kind of plays along with the way I am, too, in terms of trying to figure things out before declaring anything. So, uh, you know, here we are 12 years later, and, uh, you know, we're still getting into all sorts of adventures and trouble and things like that. So it's been a great ride. That's great. So what's, what was your uh, occupation before you got uh, involved in this? I was doing engineering. I was doing site work on, um, on uh, different construction projects, things like that. Construction uh, um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I um, operated heavy equipment, too, and things like that. So mm-hmm. I guess, you know, structural engineering part. Is kind of where I come from. So that sort of makes it like, you know, you, you ask questions, you try to be objective, but uh, you also have a working knowledge of structure, you know, to begin with, you know, how they work, what they sound like, how they're built. So I think that brings something into it as well. Mm-hmm. I've got to ask, I mean, did you ever work on this old house? Never. What? Never. Just I'm checking. still waiting for Just my checking. call, Steve. It's one of I'm my favorite still waiting. programs. Do you, yeah, do you know how many it people, is. I'm, wait a minute. Do you know how I'm, many people I'm work st- this old house? Like six. Yeah, but yeah. they have lots of contractors coming in and out doing stuff. And, hey, you know, might have done. Yeah, I mean, I'm still waiting for my call, unfortunately. They it's haven't a, gotten to me yet. But, it's um, a, it's you a perfectly know, what, legitimate wood, question. Yeah. I mean, woodworking building is... Um, yeah something i've always been interested in so maybe there's maybe there's room for me yet well fingers crossed sorry ron it's just that everybody you know i mean i like the program and everybody when they find out i was born in liverpool asked me if i know the beatles so you you know the people beatles oh forget it sorry (laughs) okay anyway so uh Did you find it difficult? Now, I, I assume uh, you, you're kind of like an alpha person as far as if someone goes out and found something, then it's usually an alpha person. Is it difficult to uh, delegate, uh, especially in the founding of the group and then eventually, uh, you know, moving on and, and bigger and better? I think that just comes down from the formation of it more than anything else, because you want to bring different perspectives in there. Uh, but at the same time, you want to bring a certain approach in there. I mean, you want to bring people that are going to use some objective reasoning and they're not going to take everything at face value and they're going to dig a little bit to, uh, to arrive at a conclusion. So you, you sort of put that together, but, um, we haven't had a lot of turnover in the group, to be honest with you. So I guess that's good. We're all getting along. But eventually, when you build up that kind of trust and faith in people, um, you know, you, you let them go out and do your thing because you don't want everybody just saying yes to you all the time. You want different ideas. And 
you want different perspectives to consider. So, um, you know, we're all adults here, and uh, so I think it's good to get different perspectives and everything like that. So, you know, I find that over this period of time, you don't have to ride herd on anybody. It's it's, it's counterproductive, really. I mean, there's no need to, uh, you know, wear a shirt that says captain on it or anything like that. It's, you know, there's just no need for that. It, 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 it's all window dressing. Amen, brother. Really? Says the guy who wears a shirt which says captain on it. Yeah. I'm, I'm no. sorry. Are you mixing me up with somebody who gives a damn? Uh, wait, 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 wait. Hang on. No, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, I, we have I, a guest, but let, yes, let's just, yes, let's just talking, address this. I'm talking the, about dust. There is not an ex- highway parsons. No. There is not one single item of clothing that has ever had born or exist with our group's logo on it, let alone anything else. That Rule was a one. metaphor. Rule one. You know what a metaphor is, right? Yeah, it's like a silly me. Yeah, exactly. I do so. have, I do, and, and I must say, though, in full disclosure, I do have a mug that says World's Greatest Grandfather on it, though. So. Oh, that works. That, that works. Oh, that counts. That Maybe. counts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that fits in there, too, so. Yeah. I think what Ron's referring to is that often with groups, because uh, we were talking about groups last week, and often with groups you do get um, a, a sort of a desire to impose rules and structure and call themselves CEOs and all manner of other stuff onto onto their teams, which yeah. uh, I think is more of an, an ego thing than anything else. Yeah, I see a lot of that in social media where people, and I'm not taking anybody to task, but I see a lot of that CEO of uh, Tom's ghost hunting yeah. uh, group and things o- like that. O- owner sort of, of New England Ghost Project, for example. Yeah, like there, <laughs> like there is such a thing. Good try. No, there's nothing, that, uh, there's nothing that aggrandized about, you know, what it is that we're doing, you know, because we're, we're still trying to figure things out, too. So we, we stay, stay humble is kind of uh, – and our motto is sort of like, we don't know anything. So we kind of we live by that. I might steal that one. I hope you don't mind. I like that motto. Not at all. Not at all. Actually, Jeff Belanger's one, it says, the truth is out there, and we're going to find it, even if it's by accident. Yeah. And usually that's the case. We, we sort of, uh, we sort of stumble into a lot of the things that some of the most profound things we've ever experienced or documented. I wish I could say it was a tremendous investigative acumen, but sometimes you're just simply in the right place at the right time or the camera's pointed in the right direction, which is opposite of everything that you know about the place. And sometimes that's just the way it goes. So I'm curious. Hello. Yeah, yeah I completely lost lost well, you there sir, for a minute. I'm curious how you do a typical uh, investigation. Oh my goodness! Uh, well, f- uh, from the time of the initial interview, I'll spare you those details. But we try to get a a handle on whoever's reporting it because we're not the people who ride around and say that looks like a spooky place. Let's go in there. I mean. Uh, we respond to claims of um, yeah, of encounters of odd things that happen. So, 
Of course, we get as much information as we possibly can without leading the witness. We let them tell their story before we interject with questions of our own. And you get a kind of a feel for the client, their credibility, uh, the credibility of the story, and then decide mutually if the best thing to do is uh, pay a visit. It's not just simply, well, let's get out there and and investigate, you know, you, you try to run that down. And um, when you get to the point that it's like, okay, let's pay them a visit on site. And then you try to do as much research into it as you possibly can with the background, the history, whether it's, um, you know, who lived there before or, you know, what the geological makeup of, of the place is. What's, you know, all of those things could factor into it. So, I guess basically it's trying to get as much information as we possibly can about a place to formulate a plan that usually goes all to hell within the first 15 minutes of arriving. (laughs) But we like to have, you know, some type of approach in place. And as far as how we determine success, it's just if we follow a systematic process, uh, we don't gauge success by, yo, we saw a UFO, we saw the Loch Ness Monster, we saw... A ghost. I mean, we don't necessarily say, well, that is the definition of success. We just try to follow a systematic process, more of a forensic process. I never use the word scientific because we're not scientists. I think it really is overplayed a lot (laughs) when we say we use the scientific method. Uh, most groups don't use the scientific method, and that's just the way it is. But, but you don't have to be a scientist to follow a process. And, uh, you know, without going on for an hour exactly into the details of it, we try to just kind of stick with that and run it down by the numbers and use common sense, uh, which is sometimes uh, in short supply, but we try to bring that in. And, you know, a little bit of technology, but not an over-reliance on technology. Oh, keep talking, Kate. You are very much singing the same from the same hymn sheet. I'm raising a glass here, everything you say. Yeah, as far as science, I've always said the same thing, Steve. You know, I... Just because I own a microwave oven doesn't make me a scientific cook. No, but you know what uh, I'm saying? I, that was the only thing where I, I feel that I ought to come back because our group here in the UK is called Parascience. And right. the, the reason is that we use the scientific method. And we've always stated a monkey can do science because it's just a series of logical process steps. Right. Sure. But I think in in the case when you're doing, you know, there are so many variables with the paranormal that oftentimes these things, if you want to, you know, experiment, hypothesis, theory, et cetera, and so forth, conclusion, a lot of times these things are so volatile and they uh, have so many intangibles in them that a lot of times you can't, you know, use a laboratory type of setting to have oh, no, a absolutely. experiment. No, absolutely. You know, so I think I, I think we have to balance that. Too. Oh no, I agree one hundred percent. You absolutely can't um, use the laboratory standards in in field investigation. But I mean, it's the basic idea of this high school science that you know where you lay down your methods um, and your hypothesis, mm-hmm. your experiments, the outcome. Those are steps that everybody can and should take, in our opinion. And the idea that um, the science uh, science involves technology is another myth 
that we've always tried to dispel. Yeah. Because science is just yeah. a stepwise process. And you're absolutely right. Um, you know, trying to uh, impose lab standards into the chaotic world of somebody's home is a complete lost cause. Right. Uh, but you, but well, you can uh... work through the steps of the process, though. However, exactly, and, and however, you can use science to analyze uh, any evidence that you collected. And yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, our, our analysis of the data, because, you know, everybody calls it evidence. Well, it's data. It's not evidence until Yay. you find, uh, until you run I, down I'm the process. I'm more and more and more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we take the data as it were. And, um, you know, we're pretty stringent on how we run it. And it's not easy. We've had to, you know, learn how to use, you know, audio programs without muddling the whole thing. So, I mean, we have a process that once we collect the data, we, I mean, um, (laughs) it's not unusual for us to, you know, argue amongst each other over things, but that's fine. It's the argument and it's the debate that kind of pushes pushes us to be a little bit better. There we are. That sums it up. You've actually restored my faith in investigators. Well, I mean, like, I'm, like, really kind of old school. I mean, I'm 61, so I kind of come from a different type of era where there wasn't a lot of TV. My God, I hate to even say it, there weren't even cell phones in the Internet. It was the dark ages. Um, so there wasn't all of that. So you had to rely on dial. And, um, and the other thing you learn, I think through experiences, the most important thing to human condition itself, like how we think, how we're wired, why do people believe the things they do? Mm. And I think that all factors in, that's why we have a behavioral psychologist who also is like you know, on speed dial for us. So we can get some kind of insight into a person's thinking and background and, um, you know, and just decide whether or not whatever, whatever endeavor that we take on, if it's worth gathering the troops and, you know, going to something like that. But you have to factor in that human element and the human psychology in this. And I'm not a psychologist. I don't, I don't pretend to be one, but you have to have a, I think some understanding of how we think. I, yeah, it's astonishing actually listening to this because it, it, it just echoes last week's radio show where Ron was asking us about our group because we also, um, we have a, a PhD um, psychologist on board because mm-hmm. you need to study the human being because it's, it is yeah. um, at the end of the day, a human experience. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. There's no question about that. And when people say, how do you think that we're going to push this? I don't know if you want to call it a field or if you want to call it a community or whatever, because a lot of us are just glorified hobbyists doing this. But as far as pushing it forward, I think it's not going to be the next gizmo we invent. I think it's going to be as we understand how we are as humans and how we think, you know, I've I just call it the human condition, and why do we see these things? How do we see these? Again, amen. Yeah, I think that that's been good luck in figuring that out. Yeah, well, you know what? It's like I don't know if we'll ever get there, but uh, you know, it's a hell of a journey. 
I like I like the journey, if nothing else. I mean, reassuringly, we we do make small steps forward, um, not in understanding the paranormal, but we do understand better the nature of being human and how humans experience the world around them and interpret their situations and uh, sometimes interpret them as paranormal rather than normal. Um, So we 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 are making small inroads into understanding uh, the only problem is that is is that the, the world changes people change and so the what works in the past does not work in the future at all times i mean you can't rely on the human experience as any type of fact only that they experienced it one in 50 people suffer from uh, facial dis uh, orientation in other words they see people but they don't really see them as people they just see the features and uh, there are mothers who can't recognize their children apart in a photo uh, without uh, you know something in the photo other than the face that describes it so there's this the human experience is so flawed ah but the fact that you just said what you said means that we've actually been able to study that phenomena and understand that aspect of our of our human psyche so we are we we are moving forward in little steps. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been able to say what you just said. No, because you look at the things that Freud brought up, and they certainly have been proved not all true. Yes, and, but but that, again, but, as but, we but, develop, as we develop, we develop a greater understanding. And we're not really that much different than cavemen. We are totally different than cavemen. We have different problems, but yeah, the. The results are, you know, the situations aren't that much. In terms of how we're hardwired and how we respond to situations, hasn't really yeah, changed we, that we, much. No, we still retain some qualities of that. Nature singing or pareidolia, for example, really, that's in our DNA. And that's passed down from the times of cavemen where they were able to perceive um, a possible enemy or threat to them by recognizing faces in random shapes. So that part of us has always kind of stayed with us. It's an early warning system, if nothing uh, else. But, but in reality, can uh, that, that goes beyond humans. That they, the human, the cavemen uh, experienced a uh, anxiety of something that they perceived as a threat, not necessarily human or anything else. But that if they were right. That was so much better for them, but they were wrong. There was no harm. So that's why they never got rid of this perception of a threat. Yeah, I mean, you ignore it at your own peril. I mean, you're walking down a street, you hear a noise, or you think you see a figure. Well, you've got a couple of choices. You ignore it, or, you know, the fight or flight type of thing sets in. Um, But this is why, you know, our minds are wired to see a shape, and then suddenly from our memories, we start to add arms and legs to it because we think we see head and shoulders and it's just kind of the way, kind of the way we're wired, you know, and as, exactly. as humans, you know, exactly. we're always looking for an explanation to everything. Even if the explanation comes out to be, there is no explanation, but you know, we're satisfied with that. Right. A lot of the pareidolia is, is, is just the brain making sense of what it can't explain. Oh, it exactly. Well, it does. It, that, that would actually no. Um, 
it, but that's a philosophical argument and, and is one for a different show and a longer show. Um, and one that we've had many, many times. I'm surprised you're still pursuing this particular dead horse. No, actually, I have scientific data to back it up. Yeah, yeah. We put this to bed on Lou's show last week. Anyway, back to actually, our Actually, uh, thank you very much from that, and I appreciate uh, the, the support I have from my fans. Thank you very much. So, anyways, moving right along, Ken, <laughs> as uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, Steve Parson was, was uh, eating all up about you was your scientific procedure and everything else, but then I went on the page and I found this lovely thing about orbs. Would you care to discuss that? Orbs? Uh, I don't know how much time you have. It'll sum it up. I'll sum I it have up plenty for of time. You. I have another half hour, actually. <laughs> um. The funny thing about orbs is that orbs weren't really a thing until maybe the early 80s with the advent of digital photography, where the, uh, the flash was very close to the lens, and then suddenly these things showed up. Um, you know, the standard thing is 99.9% .9 of them are dust, pollen, skin, dried skin, uh, insects, uh, moisture particles, and I subscribe to that. But the funny part about it is the UFO people were the first to jump on this thing about orbs. And eventually they kind of smartened up a little bit and they said, well, you know, no, it's, it's just really can't. It's just artifacts. It's just things in the environment with it. Maybe we can't see until they're illuminated. But then the ghost people came along and claimed that for their own. But they have been uh, very reticent to give it up at this point. I have seen light anomalies that uh, could not be anything but that on, you know, rare, very, very rare occasions where we've been able to see them visually without the aid of a camera. But I think one has to understand that cameras work in the visible light spectrum like our eyes do. And, um, you know, if it's in the physical environment, a camera, you know, will see it as, as we would, except they have the added bonus of, you know, um, an artificial illumination, i.e. the flash. So, uh, you know, the orb thing to me is just kind of like, it's something that people kind of hang on to a little bit, and uh, I don't really get into large debates anymore with people. If they want to believe it's something, then, you know, I can't change their minds. Read on that one. Sorry? So, uh, let's see, we're coming up to the break time. Yep, two minutes. Okay. Yeah, the uh, the orb thing doesn't want to die, and uh, it certainly lives on in the hearts and souls of many people, uh, and, and many different uh, modalities as well, not uh, just ghost people, but you mentioned aliens, but uh, you can also find them in religious people. You can find them in just about you know, the things that are, that are out there. Well, I think the thing is with that, it's sort of like the thing that belief is a very powerful thing and, and wish fulfillment are very, very powerful things. And at the same time, there's a yin and yang to it, because while belief motivates us to go forward, it can also present itself as an obstacle to us as well. And, you know, Bigfoot and, and, and cryptozoology, you know, certainly falls into that same category as well. And speaking about cryptology, when we come back from the break, I do want to touch upon that, uh, since you will be presenting on Bigfoot a bit uh, 
Spirit Quest this fall, September 28th, 29th, and 30th. Uh, Spirit Quest 2018 in search of. So I'm dying to find a little bit more about that and uh, other things that you have on the, your website. And check out Ken's website. It is riseupparanormal.com. R-I-S-E-U-P, paranormal, P-A-R-A-N-O-R-M-A-L dot com. So That's the, okay. C-O-M. Thank you. Uh, so anyways, uh, Ken, uh, we're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles and uh, Steve Parsons from Parascience, Ron Kolick from the New England Ghost Project. And our very special guest is Ken DaCosta from Rise Up Paranormal right here on Tojanet, Pararex and other fine stations. We'll be right back. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Fading theme music can only mean one thing. It's part two of Ghost Chronicles International with your host, New England's very own deluded Van Helsing, the gold standard in ghost hunting, and our very special guest from Rise Paranormal, Ken DeCosta, who is joining us at Spirit Quest this this fall. I nearly said autumn then and gave away the fact that I'm British. What's well, all gone quiet? The Skype failed. Well, I'm still here. Oh, well, that's all right, then. We've just lost Ron. It'd be nice and, <laughs> nice and quiet, then, at yeah, least. Yeah, I'm still here. 
Oh, God. Carry on. Carry on. Yeah, carry on. So anyways, Ken, before we get into the, the Bigfoot and so forth, uh, Rise Up Paranormal, what, what does it stand for? Uh, the Rhode Island Society for the Examination of Unusual Phenomena. But cool. Rise Up fits. Uh, Rise Up fits much better on than a T-shirt. <laughs> so, uh, no, you have to have an acronym. It's the law. Um, when you when you when you start, mm -hmm. only is uh, we think what? it's clever. We think it is anyway. But yeah. It's more all encompassing. It's not about you know, ghosts and hauntings. It's about it's it's about any kind of any kind of unusual phenomena. So we don't. Yeah, that's what we I was try not to say. put a I limit. I noticed in your website that that you do have a lot of different things. You have UFOs and strange animals, cryptozoology, psychical research. Paranormal World yeah. Database. So, uh, but let's yeah, go to the, it's uh, all they're they're all welcome under the tent. Cryptozoology. I mean, that's I've always found intriguing because of all the paranormal uh, sciences. Uh, to me, that uh, is the one that's most provable because you can find a freaking Bigfoot, maybe. You can find some extinct animals that uh, are believed to be extinct but come up alive. So some uh, can be discovered, uh, which has happened. So uh, what's your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, of course, there are species that disappear off the face of the earth every day. And there are new species that that uh, show up, that uh, times we can catalog and sometimes we can't. I think we need to understand that uh, obviously seven-tenths of the Earth's surface is covered by water. I mean, that is the most, you know, we're, we're going into space, but we have limitations as far as our own planet. So there are things that lurk beneath the surface of the ocean that we have no idea what they are yet. Mm -hmm think in terms of uh, some of these things and uh, without giving too much away um, at Spirit Quest I'm going to present what I think is the most probably the most compelling argument for the existence of a um, of a primate living in various parts of the world uh, I'm not going to give too much away on that but <laughs> I do think that, we're, yeah, I do think we're hindered a little bit by, again, what happens out there is the same thing in all these phenomena, whether it's ETs, whether it's ghosts or whatever, that there are hoaxes and there are misidentifications, which are innocent, innocently done. The problem is when we get something that we consider trace evidence, the comparison that we make to it sometimes is what we've gleaned from the hoaxes and the misidentification. In other words, we don't have that one piece of indisputable proof that we say, okay, we've got a hair sample, DNA, we've got all the rest of this stuff, Bigfoot exists, and then somebody finds something else, and then you can hold it up to that to prove or disprove thing we're lacking. One definitive, absolutely undisputed piece of evidence 
that everything will fall into place after that. So I think that's the challenge that we have more than more than and anything else, because there have been people like uh, Jeff Meldrum, uh, Ivan Sanderson, anthropologists and naturalists that they've been fooled as well by these things. I mean, there are some people who go to great lengths to hoax things. And unfortunately what that does is just a little bit. Right. I mean, you have the, the, the famous case of the Yeti par and the Yeti uh, skull. And, and yeah, it was, it was a goat, was a goat or something like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, there are so many cases, but you know, it's the thing that intrigues me. Why don't we have a body? That's, that's to me is, the most compelling thing for me not to believe it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, at uh, at some point, if we're going back to Native American cultures where they saw these hairy men, uh, etc. and so forth, if they... Right, Ken? ...the body or something, you know. Right, I mean, we're talking hundreds of years, but, but we're digging up dinosaur bones that are thousands of years old. Why can't we find Bigfoot's body? It would seem to uh, defy logic. I agree with you on that. And this is one thing I get myself in trouble for when I give these talks is that I'll present evidence both ways. Like everybody wants to see, you know, plaster cast footprints and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, but even those, as I'll demonstrate at Spirit Quest, can be forged or misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, pre natural predation and times uh, explain that because some of the largest alpha predators in the forest, you don't find a lot of their bodies either. You know, you don't find a lot of mountain lion remains or bear remains either. Um, so that's an argument in favor, I guess, of the existence of the creature and why we haven't found the body yet. But I think that you also have to understand that like anybody, like anything else on this planet, they live in very unforgiving types of environment, but eventually because of change of seasons, they're going to come down closer to where the food source is. So it's always been kind of frustrating to me why there aren't even more sightings and um, and why we are not finding that type of trace evidence. It, you know, to me, it's it's almost like they're, uh, you know, time travelers. I would believe more they're time travelers or uh, interdimensional recover a body anywhere. It, at least if they went back somewhere else, they we couldn't get it. So anyway, yeah. who knows? But uh, so cryptology, is it more that to you than just Bigfoot or are there other cases that, that intrigue you? Well, I mean, cryptozoology, I mean, it, it really what it means is the, the hidden animals, the study of the hidden animals. So, I mean, the ones that get all the attention, obviously, is, you know, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, Loch Ness Monster, Champ. Etc. and so forth. Those are the uh, those are the sexy ones, and uh, you know they they get a lot of our attention. But it goes much further than that when you start talking. 
talking about the evolution of these creatures from prehistoric times to now. The coelacanth, uh, which was a large fish that was supposedly had uh, become extinct. And I think it was in 1938 they discovered one in South America and like, hey, Eureka, you know, we were wrong about that. So basically, it's just an idea of cataloging these animals. And, um, you know, uh, it's an unforgiving world out there. And uh, there are a lot of unexplored places right now. But uh, I think, you know, we're making inroads on that with technology. We're using drone capabilities and thermal imaging capabilities now. So that's one of those instances where technology actually may, may help us to kind of figure out what's out there a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, what's so, many, not out there. so many people in cryptology use that silicon as, as, a, as a, an example, but the only problem yeah. with it is that we knew that silicon existed. Uh, we have no proof that Bigfoot existed as far as, uh, you know, an accepted, as a, an accepted creature. Um, so I think that's the difference between the silicon and, and Bigfoot uh, uh, Yeti. You know, what we have right now, though, is that we, we end up with a lot of blurry photographs and eyewitness testimony that can sometimes, um, you know, eyewitness testimony is not infallible either. Misidentification is, and I'm not suggesting that anyone's trying to be uh, deceptive all the time, although there are, you know, profound cases of people doing exactly that. But I think a lot of times um, these creatures are just misidentified. You know, footprints are misidentified because they degrade over time and things like that. So um, you just have to be careful when you're cataloging these things, not to jump to those conclusions. So um, with the coelacanth, it was a matter of it being taken off the catalog. And then they found they made a mistake. You know, not an intentional mistake, but they're like, okay, we we got to erase that. You know, we've got, we got to add that back onto it. But it's the coelacanth is probably just the most sterling example out there of the idea that we have to keep looking because occasionally that sort of thing happens. Mm-hmm. Steve, does uh, Bigfoot show up in England at all? We do have occasional reports. Um... Britain has its um, own apparently native population of Bigfoot, but we're a much oh, smaller I- we're a much smaller island, um, so they are very few and far between, and not really very credible. Um, but we do have quite a, a native population of big cats, mm-hmm. which are alien yes. to, to us. Uh, we have um, well documented um, from right across all, all the different parts of the UK and uh, not just well documented but well documented in terms of the witness credibility as well um, we had one here in West Wales uh, two years ago and it was reported the phenomena I'm sorry yeah the ABC yeah. Um, the alien black yeah. cat the and yeah. one of the people who who had a sighting and reported it was an animal um, one of the uh, authority local authority um, county authority animal welfare um, it, officers who spent his entire life know, uh, knowing and working with the native uh, population of wildlife and he came forward and he said i've seen this and there have been um, you know other very very well supported cases and I, I 
it doesn't it wouldn't surprise me it would it really wouldn't surprise me you know our, our climate supported the these animals in the past our climate hasn't changed dramatically and there are despite britain's relatively much smaller size than the usa we still have very large areas of um land that are uninhabited and not visited by by um walkers or or people um you know sort of on a regular basis and it would be perfectly possible perfectly possible uh, there have been cases where known animals during the, I think it was in the 1970s when they brought in the Dangerous Pets Act or the Dangerous um, Animals Act in the UK. There were people who had pet lions and pet cougars and pet tigers. And rather than surrender them, um, in, in several instances, these animals were let go and they were let to run wild. And indeed, they thrived. And we have weird native populations of things like wallabies and mink and all manner of creatures that are completely alien to our shores. And indeed, these um, released um, animals, these dangerous large cats, survived quite well in, in, in our climate. And they took forever um, to round up again. You know, they, they just disappeared into into the countryside. And it took several years. In fact, they'd established breeding uh, colony uh, breeding pairs before they were eventually rounded up again. So yeah, it, it strikes me as being absolutely uh, um, perfectly acceptable that we could have such a population. But Bigfoot, I think an eight, seven, eight foot hominid covered in fur. I mean, we have the um, you know we have stories, but we don't have any real credible stories or sightings to go on in the UK. Yeah. I mean, in terms of alien big cat, at one point they took it so seriously that uh, they called in the military. Oh, absolutely, yeah. In the um, on, on far more down. than yeah, on far more than one occasion, um, almost annually, in fact, uh, the military police marksmen uh, are called out to well-established locations throughout the UK. Derbyshire being one, West Wales being another. Um, we have sort of certain hotspots, Exmoor, Derbyshire more down on the southwest of England, where there is almost certainly, and this is believed by the landowners, by the farmers, by the animal welfare, wildlife officers, they believe and they will tell you that we have a native population of, of these large cats. And in fact, uh, in an, in, within the next couple of years, we're going to have a native population of wolves again because there's a policy of re-release now going on for the wolf, which was eradicated a thousand years ago in the, in the UK. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. We we have. I mean, I th- I don't think it's any any stretch to say with a high degree of certainty and surety that we have a native population of um, large large felines in the UK. There's no question about that, and it's um, you know it, it it's really a matter of back in the 60s and 70s, people releasing these into the mm. wild. We have a similar situation here with the python in Florida and oh, the ecosystems have just been turned on their head. The mm-hmm. idea of that, it's actually kind of a subset of cryptozoology. It's not like, well, do these animals exist? We know they exist, but they are in a place where they shouldn't be. So that's kind of part of cryptozoology but it's sort of that subset you know miss you know misplaced animals and um these kind of creatures being in an environment where they really shouldn't be 
What's uh, interesting, though, so is what Ron said earlier about Bigfoot, um, which is the show is the body, and I'll believe. Because although it is without question that these animals are in the UK, there, are, there haven't to date been any bodies. And that's because they're in, you know, they're in areas that aren't visited by people and the remains rot. They're torn apart by other animals, by carrying animals. Sure. And the evidence disappears quite quickly. I mean, nature is very, very good at recycling. They, I mean, even today I was watching on YouTube while I was doing some research, the fact that in the USA they're finding you know, human remains from, from cases 40, 50, 60 years ago that have only been uncovered by, by chance because because they were doing some development work or doing something else. And, you know, we, we can lose whole people. We can lose airliners full of people. So the yep. existence or yeah. lack of lack of a body isn't really too disturbing in, in terms yeah. of, you know, I mean, when was the last time a great white, a dead great white shark washed up on, you know, yeah. on a beach somewhere? Yeah, actually, like quite often. So, uh, so anything that that uh, we we have more washups than than you would believe, uh, it's especially even not even counting sightings. Uh, and yeah, that's tag- why I won't go in the water off Salisbury Beach anymore. And, and taggings and so forth. <laughs> but I I know that we don't have too too much time. But I I do want to mention uh, that you also have a YouTube channel called uh, Rise Up Paranormal Presents the Paranormal Truth. Uh, you want to tell me how that started and 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 what's it about? Uh, yeah, about four years ago, um, a general manager from a television station in Marlboro, Massachusetts, approached us and said, do you want to do this sort of thing with filming? And we never honestly really had an interest in that because we didn't think the world needed one more paranormal uh you know, YouTube uh, type of thing going on. They're they're pretty much a dime a dozen now. But when we talked to him, we really hit it off with him and his crew. And we said, we'll do it, but we don't want to have a safety net. You know, we don't want to take seven takes to get the screens just right and anything like that. Because everybody out there says, well, we want to see something that's real. And I mean, we understand there has to be an element of entertainment because it's not very entertaining to see someone sitting in a library going over death certificates and deeds and things like that. So we just said we'd like to do it, but you're going to follow us. And if we screw up anything, then everybody's going to see us screw this up. Um, We're going to do this pretty much raw and and unfiltered. And he agreed to that. So... I think we're about 12 episodes in now. We don't put, we don't crank them out like a, like a factory. There may be three or four a year. Uh, the next ones are going to be shot down in the Hudson Valley in New York. We're going to be heading there in September. Uh, the first time we're going to be able to film at a private residence uh, with the owner's permission. So we just wanted to do something that was kind of unfiltered and actually real and, um, we agreed to do that, and um, we're we're really happy with the way that it's come out. So we've been able to go to a lot of places around New England and in the Northeast, and you know, do some filming there and kind of bring that to people to give them. Uh, I hope is a more realistic view of what it is we actually do. And if we get something great, and if we don't, that's great too. But. You know, we're not into it for the, um, you know, um, we're certainly not into it for the money. That's for sure. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't think there's any of us are enough for the money. No, not even close. Although a lot of people think there is a lot of money in the paranormal, by the way. Well, yeah, no, they do. And um, uh, you have to talk to somebody who's been on some of these shows sometimes. And I know you probably have to get a real idea of, you know, exactly how little money <laughs> that there is. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, uh, everybody wanted and they still pursue this kind of thing. So, you know, I mean, we've had development deals and stuff that never, you know, amounted to anything either, you know, but, uh, um, you know, good luck with that. I think your chances of being hit by an asteroid are probably better than getting yourself a TV show. So when you think about it though, uh, Ken, you think of all these people that have been on, uh, so many of these TV shows and, and uh, I, I don't know too many of them that are living large right now. No, 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 not at all. I mean, it's a pretty fleeting thing. You're on, you're off. It's uh, there are very few that have stood up to the test of time. Um, I can't believe Most Haunted is still on out in the UK, Steve. I cannot believe that they've soldiered on here. I have to tell you, we used to get this back here in the States on Friday night, and we absolutely loved watching it. Me too. Because it was, it was absolutely, they were it, nothing other than what they were, you know, Derek Carr getting possessed and falling down and <laughs> all the rest of it. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was phenomenal. I just absolutely loved it for, for what, exactly what it was. Well, I love the locations. Yep. It, it, it was wonderful. And the history. History, I think, I think that's why it was so. Yeah, I think that's why it was so popular um, in the U.S. because there is this um, perceived history that we, you know, that we have these buildings that are a thousand, hundreds, and thousands of years old, um, right. and therefore the ghosts are of a higher quality. Um, they're not, and the entertain, but the entertainment programs can be. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're entertaining. Now it can be challenging to, you know, I, th I but think. You're right. There's no money we, in it. No, there is not. But I think we watch them in a different way than most people. And that's the thing. The, the thing that bothers me about the shows, I think that for most people who are just casual watchers or have a casual interest in it, I think it's the wrong portrayal of what it is that we actually do. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's a worry, but it's just kind of like um, when you take the public out and a flaming head doesn't come out of the wall within 15 minutes there, you know, it's like, well, you know, let's go here. What's going on. And, um, so I think they get an unrealistic view. Uh, do you get it thing. when you go do an investigation and they, the homeowner says to you, well, that's not the way Zach does it. You're right. Uh, and that's the quickest way when you, when you invoke his name, it's the quickest way to me to gracefully say we're done here. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's intriguing, but it is what it is. So you, we have to deal with it, and it's as simple as that. It is. Yeah, there's a good and bad to it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are getting down on time. What What do you have coming up? Anything you want to mention? I uh, know we're uh, we we just did a large fundraiser for a uh, film society down in Hudson Valley. I alluded to it before how. 
We're going to be going back down there, and I absolutely love this place. This goes back to Revolutionary War times, and 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 it, it's an amazing part of the country we hadn't had a chance to really visit. So we're kind of looking in terms of sort of being able to go to some of these places now and you know, outside of the Northeast region, well, it's Northeast, but outside of the New England region, and uh, really starting to explore some of the claims of other parts of, of the country and things like that, and uh, kind of get in touch with our history. Right. So uh, we've got that coming up, and we're looking forward to that, and uh, we do our... You know, usual caseload along with uh, a few of our public events where we bring people into some of the places that are near and dear to us. So, um, you know, uh, leading up until October, which is the crazy season, um, oh, yeah. you know, we, ma- we managed to stay occupied. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, <coughs> excuse me, you'll be up here in, uh, once again in September 28th, 29th and 30th for a spirit quest and looking forward to that. If somebody wants to find out more about you, Ken, what is the easiest way for them? Easiest way to do that is you can, uh, like the usual suspects, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Just punch in Rise Up Paranormal. And you talked about our website that we're really proud of because it's not just a valentine to ourselves. We talk about a lot of facets of the paranormal. There's some articles written uh, by myself and some of the people in the group. And that's riseupparanormal.com. And uh, there's a contact area there. If you just want to drop us uh, an email or tell us a story, ask us a question, or just have a casual conversation about this kind of thing, um, you know, it's a good place to go and find like-minded people. But just beware, if you ask me a question, I will give you an honest answer. And it may end up in a May end up in a in a fight, but so <laughs> be it. <laughs> nah, it never happens that way. No, Does no, it? no. Does it, Steve? No. Don't t- don't tell me there's not a face in this orb, and that's all it is. And then we're off and running after that. My friend, the medium said, if I take this picture, that's I've seen. Do you know what, what Ken? I, I've actually seen groups actively using on investigations pseudo-police photo-fit apps on their smartphones to try and discern the face of um, the murderer in the orb. Uh, You can't beat that. So, anyways, beating that, we're running out of time, so we've got beaten this horse to death. You have been listening to Ghost Chronicles International, Steve Parsons, Ron Kolick, and our very special guest has been Ken DaCosta. Till next time, good night and God bless. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.